How many of you love Mother Teresa? Stories of Mother Teresa. I do as well, and I am extremely grateful that God has linked us to whom I believe is the modern-day equivalent of Mother Teresa, which is Heidi Baker. I don't know if you guys know who she is or not, but she's our spiritual mama, and um, we're just so blessed to have that DNA here in our house. And as we began to design this sermon series that we're kicking off today, we felt like it would be a great inspirational idea to take revivalists and reformers and give you guys just a snippet of their heart, maybe a speech, a prayer, uh, a part of a message, something right before we bring the message to you because over the next month, we're going to be talking about revival and reformation. So everybody say revival. And Reformation. Reformation. Revival Revival. and Reformation. So we're kicking off this series called Revival and Reformation. And for some of us in here, we are like, what in the world are you talking about? Are you about to get political on us? I don't know where you're going with this. It's okay. It'll be all right. Just tell the person next to you, say, it'll be all right. Okay. It'll be all right. And then maybe you're very familiar with this concept of revival and reformation. And really that's what it is. It's a concept. It reminds me so much of another concept that I presented last year called Kings and Priests. Is there anybody in here who remembers a singular message called Kings and Priests? Look, that was probably the most downloaded message of our podcast throughout all of last year. If you did not hear it, could I encourage you, just go to our iTunes podcast feed, put in the search bar, Kings and Priests, Legacy Nashville. It'll come up. Now, my dad preached a message years ago called Kings and Priest. Uh, Priest. Don't click that one, all right? That's a different one. All right, click the most recent one and you will find what I'm referring to this morning. Uh, But the Bible, even though there are not explicit point blank scriptures on certain concepts, the Bible is filled with kingdom concepts and principles that help us live a lifestyle to embody that of Jesus and his kingdom. Amen. And so I believe that this is a biblical concept that's going to allow us to fulfill the will of Jesus for our lives and for our generation in this time. I believe with all my heart, it's a prophetic word over our house. And so as we dive into it today, I really want you to buckle up, uh, you know, as our elementary school teachers taught us to put our thinking caps on, because the way I'm going to present the message today is going to be a lot like a leadership school teaching. How many of you went to leadership school in here? Awesome. Quite a few of you guys. We are going to do that again next summer. So if you missed it, don't stress. We're going to have more leadership uh, school for you guys next summer. But revival and reformation really is a core pillar concept, I believe, to what God is bringing the body of Christ into in this hour. And so I think it's very important for us to dive deep into this uh, revival and reformation, and really just unravel God's heart and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in regards to revival in the church and reformation in the city. So everybody just say that with me. Revival in the church and reformation in the city. Say it again, please. Revival in the church and reformation in the city. So that's what we're going to go after today. Are you guys good with it? Awesome. Well, as you open up your Bible to Acts chapter 2 and 
we prepare the um, scripture to be shown on the screen. I just want to honor uh, Seth and Bliss, who are getting married this week. This is their wedding week, and we just want to say as a church family, don't we church, congratulations to Seth and Bliss. Hey, listen, not to embarrass you guys, but if you don't mind, just super quick, just stand up. You guys stretch your hand out towards these guys. Uh, We're going to get started today, and I'm just going to mix in praying over the message with praying over these living epistles. How's that? Okay. So, Father, we thank you for this amazing, wonderful kingdom couple. We thank you for the anointing that is resting upon their life and for the anointing that is about to rain down upon them like a deluge of oil from the Father. God, I thank you for Seth, and I thank you how he already embodies the heart of the Father so well, how he covers and how he protects and how he shields and how he himself is a walking defense of those who are suffering and in pain. Lord, I thank you for raising up their voice together, for connecting them uh, in their marriage, in their covenant, and for raising them up together as giants in the faith in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Lord, we loose what their calling is together. We loose and bless everything that they're called to spread around the earth with your love and with your joy. So we bless their covenant now in Jesus' name. And everyone said... And we bless the word today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read seven verses of scripture to kick us off. I should have actually counted how many verses I have, but I have so many verses today, guys, that if you're taking notes, just prepare your thumbs, okay? If you're taking notes on an iPhone, if you're writing them down, like just get ready. I've got a lot of verses of scripture, and I'm going to give them to you with as much clarity as possible, okay? So Acts chapter 2, seven verses of scripture. This is what we call revival and reformation, okay? So, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day, everybody say in one day, day. about 3,000 souls. Everybody say revival. When 3,000 people get saved as the result of one sermon, that's what we call revival. God, let me preach a message like that in Jesus' name. I'd love to see that. How about you guys? 3,000 people get saved in a day, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Now, everybody say these last three words with me. And the prayers. Let's say that all together one more time. And the prayers. Because today what I'm really going to try and um, work into this message is the consistency, the, the importance, the necessity to have a praying church if we are going to see revival in the church and reformation in the city. We have to have a praying church. So look at your neighbor and say, you got to pray. Next slide, please. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, everybody say, that's church. church. And breaking bread in their homes, everybody say, that's small groups. 
They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, what would it look like if the favor of God fell upon on the church in such a way that the whole city took notice of what God was doing amongst his people and they had favor with all the people? How many of you guys could say, I could use some favor with all the people. I only got favor with like my dog. I need favor with all the people, right? And, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Everybody say revival. Man, this right here is revival. Day by day, we see people getting saved. There were actually a lot of characteristics here that I'm just going to uh, hint at really quick and may revisit in a moment, but there are some characteristics here that we can identify in these seven verses of Scripture that really give us a good, clear picture of what it looks like when God is moving in revival through the church. Uh, I'm going to give you guys five quick sub points, all right? I'm going to have major points, okay? <laughs> have I lost you already, all right? There's going to be some major points kind of like major prophets in the scripture, and some minor points, all right? So these are minor points, okay? So these are characteristics of that church. Number one is that members were devoted to their leaders' teaching. Verse 42, it got super quiet all of a sudden. Members, I'm saying it with a smile on my face, guys. Members were devoted to their leaders' teachings, Number two, individual and corporate prosperity was so good that they were able to provide for every need inside and outside of their circles of influence. Number three, daily additions, numerical growth was happening. Number four, there were ongoing and expanding favor with outsiders, especially people in authority in the city. And fifth, Signs and wonders were being performed in public. Pretty awesome, right? That's what we call revival in the church and reformation in the city. I believe with all my heart that God wants to release a revival in the church that is so powerful, so dynamic, that it exits these four walls and it makes a difference in the city. Now, this is something I'm probably going to repeat a couple of times throughout this message. But listen, I believe that what God wants to do in the church, he longs for it to be bigger than the church. Meaning the local church, the, the, the congregation. What God wants to do on a Sunday morning, he wants that to affect how we do business on Tuesday. What God wants to do on a Sunday morning, he wants that to affect how we do college university on Thursday afternoon. He wants that to affect our workplace. He wants that to affect families in the city. He wants that to affect the prisons, that prisoners would be comforted, that the hungry would be fed, that the poor would have the gospel preached to them, that the naked would be covered and clothed 
that the blind would be able to see, that the mute would be able to sing, that the deaf would be able to hear, that the lame would be able to walk. God wants to do something so spectacular in the church that it doesn't just transform us as individuals, but it transforms us corporately as a city. Nashville is supposed to be better because the church is here. This is a city that has been set up on a hill. This is a kingdom city. 90% of the world's Christian publication comes through this city. But let me ask you a tough question. If all the local churches were pulled out of the city, would people miss us? If our church here in East Nashville closed down and next Sunday we didn't have service, would East Nashville look around scratching their heads thinking, man, I just miss Legacy Nashville. Man, I just miss that church that was painted all black. They just added something to the atmosphere. They just shifted the way that we did things over here in this side of the city. Are you guys with me? So like as we talked about kings and priests last year and we talk about Revival and Reformation this year. Guys, the point I really want to drive home this month is God wants to do something so good in here that it changes our city for the better. God wants to raise up revivalists as reformers for the city. God wants to raise up Holy Spirit-filled ministers that do ministry not just in a pulpit with a microphone, but they do it behind a banking kiosk. They do it as a salesperson. They do it in retail. They do it in real estate. They do it in the fashion industry. They do it in the music industry. They do it in whatever industry you are a part of. God wants to do something so awesome in you that your pulpit becomes wherever it is that you work. If you drive for Uber, that you create a confessional right there, you know. People love to tell you about what's actually going on in their heart. If you will slow down long enough, love them effectively enough to give them space to open up and to share with you. I promise you guys, we are all called into this. And I believe that God wants to anoint our family. He wants to anoint our tribe so that what we're doing in this city is not just having good church. Right. It's so easy to make the goal good church, you know, and even for us as full time vocational ministers, people who, you know, labor in in the study of the word and preaching and teaching. It's so easy for us to get so bogged down by what am I going to preach on Sunday that we exempt ourselves from the will of God and what he wants to do through people who are suffering and crying out for help in our neighborhood who live right around here. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying that I believe that some of these heart cries from the people who are longing for help in our city, that God wants to send us as the solution. That God wants to raise us up as the answer. That God wants to do something so special in us that the city of Nashville would start looking like the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding towns so that we might be able to say the characteristics that were happening in Acts chapter 2 are happening in our city and in other cities of the earth and in the poorest cities of the earth and in the darkest cities of the earth and in the most dangerous cities of the earth. And this was happening in the book 
of Acts. Now, I want to give you guys a couple of quick definitions of what revival is. Now, I grew up in Kentucky, so when we talked about revival, we said it's pure God. That was our basic Kentucky definition. It's just pure God. Or we'd have an event called revival. How many of you guys have been to an event called a revival, right? You got taken to church when you were a kid against your will. You wanted to stay home, hang out. You're like, Mom, we just went to church last night. We just went to church the night before and the night before that. And we're going to church again tonight. We're in revival. I, I grew up in that. You know, we had these things called brush arbor meetings. And we'd go out into the country with sawdust floors, open air. And we'd have revival meetings. Anybody else ever been, went to one of those before? A few of you guys been to one of those. That's what we called revival, you know. But let me give you a better, more formal definition of what revival is. Revival is an increased spiritual interest or renewal in the life of a church or society that has a local, national, or global effect. Everybody say effect. Now, that word right there, effect, is what I would like to exchange for the word reformation. Is that there is a move of God that becomes so big, so powerful, that the city looks different as an effect. That the neighborhood looks different as an effect. That the nations of the earth look different as an effect. Right? Revival should have an effect. And here's what reformation is. Reformation, the word actually means to shape again. And so when we speak of reformation, we're talking about reshaping institutions and practices that affect large groups of people. God wants what happens in the church to change the way people live in the city. Let me say that again. And, and let's get a resounding amen on this one. God wants what happens in the church to change the way that people live in the city. Amen. Do you guys believe that? Yes. You know, people talk about our faith being private. I understand like our, our faith is personal, but it shouldn't be private. If our faith is not affecting the people that we do life around, we have to ask ourselves, how closely are we actually following Jesus? How filled are we actually with the spirit of Jesus? If our workplace doesn't look any different since we've been hired on, we have to ask ourselves, are we really following the Lord the way that we claim we're following him through our faith, Facebook statuses? You know what I'm saying? And so it should look different. The city should look different. And I haven't always felt this way. Like I said, I, I, for long since I've been so consumed with like, man, we just got to get this church up off the ground. We just need warm bodies to serve. I, they could have got out of jail last night. We're putting them on welcome home team, you know. <laughs> Savannah's up here on our welcome home. She's like, yes, amen. Let's do this. Nobody gets scared, all right? But, you know, it should look different. It should look different. And I remember last year I was in prayer and God referred to me as pastor, which is the one and only time I've ever heard the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, Pastor? So I was like, okay, he's about to say something. He said, Pastor, I've given you a heart for the house, but now I want to give you a heart for the city. Yes, yes. Now I want to give you a heart for the city. 
And this is just something that I feel like is happening in my life. And as a result, I really feel like it's something that's happening in our church's life. Is that good changes in the church should equal good changes in the city. And so as we pursue revival, I mean, guys, guys, I really think we have been experiencing a time of refreshing. You know, that's a biblical phrase, times of refreshing that come from the Lord. I mean, I don't know if you came on worship night. And I'm sorry if you couldn't come, but you tried because we had to shut the doors because of fire code. You know, so God was releasing and is releasing to our body a refreshing. But if the refreshing doesn't equal positive changes in our family, if the refreshing doesn't equal us being more connected to our spouse, if the refreshing doesn't equal us more connected to our kids, then the refreshing just makes us more religious. It's true. Because then we know all these things about God and we've had all these experiences about God and we get calloused over time. And when people start talking about revival, we're like, yeah, 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 I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, burn it, no big deal. And you're like, you're sour and you're disconnected from your kids and on the brink of divorce and broke and bankrupt and you need a transformation in your life. But because of your previous refreshings, you're so religious, so boxed off from what God wants to do in this season. You can't experience the revival. And God doesn't want to just give you a revival so that you can hoard all of the good blessings in your life, pushing it further into your already stuffed closet and say, man, that's good for me. God wants you to bring out of your storehouse treasures, new and old, for the city so that things can change, so that the crime rate can go down. So that poverty rates can go down. So that issues such as racism can discontinue. So that the hungry should be fed. That space would be made available for the stranded. That clothes were given to the naked. That care was provided for the sick. And that comfort was given to those who are imprisoned. Are you guys into this? You know how I know you are? Because this generation is bred to be world changers. I mean, millennials, people give us a hard time, and I get it, you know, because we can be lazy and entitled. And that bothers me too. As a millennial, I get bothered by that as well. But listen, there is something special that God has placed upon this generation, and if we will look through the lens of redemption, we can recognize that millennials actually have a very special assignment, and there is something that happens on the inside of them when they hear a a clarion call into making a difference. See, what you guys have gotten confused about us, millennials, is that we're not looking for something to live for. We're looking for something to die for. And if you can ever appeal to a millennial (laughs) in that way, they'll lay their blood on the line, man. I'm telling you. And that's why I believe that we are going to see every nation reached before I die. And we will see that. I mean, if you look at mission statistics, it's we're already trending in that direction. People want to give you bad reports all the time. But we sat with Andy and Holly Bird in Kona, Hawaii earlier this year. And, and we're not far. 
So we need to update ourselves of that and recognize that God actually wants to do something. Now, listen, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, the most famous verse of Scripture in all of the Bible about church planting is probably this one. It's amazing to me that we have so many churches today. We obviously believe that it's the will of God to plant churches, but God never tells us in the scripture. He never gives us a direct command to plant churches, and he does not leave us any instructions on how to do it. Thanks, God, you know. Like, you could have at least given us a five-step plan. You know why I think he didn't? Because he doesn't care as much about the form as we do. And if he would have given us one specific form, then that might not apply to all cultures. Right? And church in China has to look different than church in Nashville because we're allowed to worship here in a beautiful, you know, well-lit little sanctuary here. And in China they can't. So it's got to look different. And when we start seeing the church as a building only, we stop seeing the church in the way that God originally intended, which was as his body, as his bride, that we're meant to be filled with the spirit and sent out to do the work of reform in every nation, not huddled together trying to preserve some brick and mortar. Because that can be a distraction. And there's a lot of churches today that are distracted with buildings. So, and that's just a side note. That was for whoever's watching by live stream right now. It wasn't for any other soon. But in Matthew 16, 18, it said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's get clear. Church is Jesus' idea. Not yours, not mine, not man's, not history's. Church is Jesus's idea. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people rooting against the church today. And I want to notify you, that's a losing effort. Rooting against the church means rooting against Jesus. Opposing the church means opposing Jesus. Because we are not building this thing. Jesus has taken personal responsibility to build this thing. So don't root against the church. You may root against an expression of the church. I don't like the way that we're doing this. I don't like the way that we're doing that. And I get that. But lobbing stones over the fence disconnected from a local body isn't going to bring any transformation within the four walls. Getting connected... Getting planted as part of a local body and doing the things that were happening in Acts 4, uh, excuse me, Acts 2 and 42. Like, hey, I'm, I'm submitted to my leaders. Yeah. I'm serving on a team. Yeah. Come on. This gives us prophetic credibility to speak into the transformation that God wants to bring. But disconnection doesn't provide credibility. I don't have time to chase rabbits, but I'm doing that. And I just want to say is that whenever Jesus said that he was going to build church, um, his idea of church was a little bit different than our idea of church today. So this word, if you look at the word, you guys are going to know this, ecclesia. How many have heard this word before? We know this word as ecclesia because we are familiar with the word ecclesiastical, which is the work of the church, meaning the formal vocational work of the church, the things that we know of as priest 
and priestly responsibilities, you know, the, the formalities of Sunday morning, these things, okay? This is what we recognize when we hear the word ecclesia because we think of the word ecclesiastical, which in the modern vernacular, the Greek word ecclesia translated into English means this, church, okay? So that's what it means. So whenever Jesus said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my ecclesia, you guys want to learn a little Greek today, say ecclesia, ecclesia, then um, we translate it as, as, as church, and the Greek word actually means assembly, right, or church, right? But if you dive a little bit deeper into what Jesus was saying when he said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my ecclesia, you have to look at it within context, not just looking at the language, not just how Greek has taken shape and been formed over thousands of years to mean what it means today in the English. Whenever Jesus said, I'm going to build my ecclesia, he was actually referring to a familiar secular term for an institution that operated within the business marketplace. Now that's interesting. Because we wonder, did Jesus actually make a mistake? Why didn't Jesus say, and upon this rock I will build my synagogue? After all, he was Jewish. Right? Upon, upon this rock, I'm going to build my Sabbath expression of attending the local, local church. All right. So this is this is something that Jesus did. If you think that Jesus didn't go to church, man, you ain't read your Bible. All right. Because before he was arrested, he said, did I not preach and teach every day in the temple? Homie was at church more than you. Okay, he loved it. He was religious. (laughs) That messes us up. But why didn't he say that? Why didn't he say, upon this rock, I'm going to build my synagogue. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my temple. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my assembly. But he he didn't. He used a term very intentionally. It was a secular term that he borrowed from another culture, which was the Greek and the Roman culture, which was occupying Jerusalem in Jesus' day. And so he borrowed a term from the military occupancy in his hometown and he said here's what I'm going to build you know about synagogue because we go there together you know about temple because we go there together but what I've come to create is something just a little bit different it's called an ecclesia and they're looking around like I'm confused that's what the Greeks and Romans talk about it's a governing body it's a governmental institution that rules and makes decisions in the business world, the marketplace. Now that's weird. So they're thinking, Jesus, you're going to build an ecclesia? You're going to raise up a, a governing body that's going to make decisions on behalf of society? Are we hearing you right, Jesus? So you're, you're not saying we're going to separate ourselves and huddle together on Sabbath alone. You're talking about raising up an organization that's not about a building, but about a people. Because when you dive deeper, that's what Jesus is talking about. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to raise up a people that I'm going to put governmental authority that comes from me upon, and they are going to be responsible for making decisions that affect all spheres of society, including government, business. It's so funny how we complain so often. Man, government's so messed up. Business is so messed up. Media is so messed up. Well, God has given us the authority to affect, to bring reformation in those places. But because we have not yet heard. I mean, you know, Paul talked about like, how are they going to hear unless somebody preaches to them, you know? And this is not really a popular message because it's so much easier to shrink back and make faith a part of our lives and give it this little slice of the pie in our weekly schedule where we attend church on a Sunday and just enjoy being good moral people. But what Jesus said that he wanted to create was not just a resort, was not just a holding tank, you know, filled with the redeemed until God decided to send Jesus back or we die and go to heaven, he said, I'm going to raise up a governmental organization that is not just going to experience the blessing of refreshment in the spirit through prayer and community, but I'm going to raise up an organization with the authority to affect the nations and their societies to reform culture until the kingdom of heaven, this is what Revelation says, looks like the kingdom of earth. Have we, have we already done too much? Have we already gone too far? I'm looking at your eyes, and so I'm like, I'm, I see you guys. You're moving. Is this enough for today? Because I got like eight minutes left. You, can we go a little bit further? Because I really want to talk about prayer. So, okay, you, you're, you're hearing me. You're like, okay, yeah, that's great. It's awesome. Okay, cool little word study. Prove it. Okay. Consider how dynamic the transforming power of the early church, Jesus's ecclesia was. Despite the dominant political and religious establishments of the day, ecclesia quickly spread the teachings of Jesus throughout entire cities and thousands upon thousands of people responded by rapidly becoming disciples. Look at Acts 19 and 10. Uh, this continued for two years. So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You mean they didn't have a frequent flyer program? They didn't have Delta Airlines? They didn't have Greyhound Bus? You're telling me that before social media, YouTube and Instagram, that the early church was able to evangelize everybody within two years living within the boundaries of all of Asia? Holy Ghost, wow. So why, why don't we, we get these results? We're going there this month. Ecclesia was so powerful in just a few years, all of Asia heard the gospel, Romans 15 and 19. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. In this way, this is Paul speaking, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Now we're like, okay, Illyricum, what does that even mean, right? This land area in which Paul is referring to is 300,000 square miles. This is the size of Tennessee and Texas combined. 
And Paul, without the help of any modern technology, was able to proclaim and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, activating the redeemed, activating the church, activating the ecclesia to bring about thousands upon thousands of new believers into the kingdom of Jesus Christ and reform and change society in such a way that everybody was aware of Christians. That's pretty awesome. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I have a, uh, I have a, a video. It's a testimony video. It's a, it's, a, it's a minute and a half. Can you guys deal with it? Yeah. Um, I'm, just, I'm checking the time, and I want to be honorable to our guests, and I want to be honorable to our kids' workers. So I, I'm going to go after this, 11.05, I'm going to pray. My wife is going to hold me to it, all right? Because, I, I, you know, last week I looked at the clock. I said, man, we're going too long. We're dishonoring people. The kids' workers, you know, and our guests. Y'all think we're going to be here for an hour 30, and I got you here two and a half. Yeah, we can't do that. So let's just play the video, okay? I'm going to move on, okay? Today, Ciudad Juarez is experiencing a renewal so dramatic and powerful that it is no longer the world's most dangerous city. Optimism has begun to return. And as always, begins with prayer. In 2011, I went to a high place in the outskirts of the city. And by God's grace, uh, I made a declaration to adopt the city. I said to the city, you're no longer an orphan. And today I'm in another high place, right in the middle of the city. This is the way God sees our cities places where he wants to manifest himself to the church, in the community, in the marketplace, bringing transformation. And it's working. Even the highest authorities can testify to that. With the power of God and the help of Christians in the city, homicides have decreased by 80%, kidnappings by 100%, and extortions are down by 90%. Now we can say our churches, our streets, and our sport areas have been rescued. As the streets of Juarez have been reclaimed, laughter can once again be heard in the parks and open spaces. Families are now able to enjoy an outdoor lifestyle that was once stolen by cartel violence. It's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. What do you guys think? And you hear, I mean, that was the former attorney general. He's like, this happened because Christians, the church, you know, they stood up and they were no longer content with just having good church. They're like, no, we're going to believe for more. We're going to believe for revival in the church, but we're going to believe for reformation in the city. Because we want to make a difference. We want to change the world. We want to write history. We want to make this city a better place for our kids, 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 right? So how do we do this? I'm going to refer you to one phrase that the, um, the pastor in the video said, and it all began with prayer. prayer. You know, D.L. Moody said, every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. <laughs> Bauman said, search for a person who claims to have found Christ apart from someone else's prayer, and your search may go on forever. If we're going to pursue revival in the church and reformation in the city, here's where it's got to start, prayer. 
And not prayer in a general sense, but prayer in a specific sense. What are we asking God to specifically do through us and our church in this city to transform this place? There is no question at all that the early church, Ecclesia, brought revival and reformation. But how did they do it? What I want to share with you over the next seven minutes is a prescription that comes directly from God himself, Jesus, on how to do prayer evangelism. So I'm going to give you four quick points on prayer evangelism. Now, uh, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus was sending out some disciples and uh, he sent out 72, according to Luke 10. Other people, uh, other scriptures refer to it as the 70. Uh, nonetheless, it's 70 plus disciples. Two by two, he sent them. And he sent them out to do prayer evangelism. So if you're taking notes, just write this down as a short description of what prayer evangelism is. Prayer evangelism is talking to God about our neighbors before we talk to our neighbors about God. You guys see that? Prayer evangelism is talking to God about our neighbors before we talk to our neighbors about God. But a lot of times when we talked about reformation or getting our neighborhood saved or set free, the immediate pressure that we feel is, I got to go preach the gospel in public. I got to go hand out tracts. I got to go knock doors. I got to go preach to people face to face, and I'm really nervous. And, and honestly, I don't think that, it, that at all is the sequence of how Jesus laid out a way to take a city and shift a spiritual climate. And here's why, here's why I believe that, because of Luke 10. Luke 10, verse 5 through 9 says, Whatever house you enter first, say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Everybody say, The kingdom of God has come near near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. So what we're looking at when we say that is the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. What we're talking about when we say the kingdom of God has come near to you is we're talking about preaching the gospel. Okay. So what do we do before we get to that point? Jesus actually gives us some instructions and the disciples followed these instructions precisely. And what was the result? The result, actually, if you just, you know, scroll down to verse 17 in Luke 10, this is the result. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So he's talking about, can I go there? Principalities and powers over geographic regions. Jesus sends people into these cities. And he said, as a result of your presence there and you following my commandments, I saw Satan, the, the prince of the air, the God of this world, fall like lightning. Are y'all getting this? Like if we do what Jesus taught us to do, the spiritual climate over geographic territories will shift. And the prince of the air, right? The God of this world will fall like lightning. It's pretty awesome. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, but not, and nothing shall hurt you. Right? Okay, here's point one. Speak peace to the lost. Verse five, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. This is something that we need. This is something that we really need to do, church, because for far too long we've been at war with the lost. 
Listen, if Jesus was a friend of sinners, we must not be their enemies. And there's a reason why people were attracted to Jesus. And that's probably because in prayer, he did not complain to the Father about how terrible his neighbors were. Man, if you just change these dirty, rotten sinners that I work with, I can't stand them. God, get them fired. Right? Like speaking peace over them, blessing them. And if we are intentional about blessing the lost, right, we'll stop cursing them. Look at Proverbs 11 and 11. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Do you know that the way you talk about the people you work with, do you know that the way you talk about the people on I-65 has the power to bless or to corrupt our city. When you say, that guy cut me off, what an idiot. That's a curse. You actually have the ability to lift our city up or tear our city down. Man, I can't stand the people that work at that place. They're all stupid. That's a curse. Stop it. Look at your neighbor and say, stop it. Start blessing them. When you start blessing people, like when cu people cut me off, I say, bless them with wisdom, Lord. Because it's, it's, I could curse them. Man, man, they're stupid. No, no. That's what the enemy speaks over them. Right? And you know what? Even though they may not know that you said what you said, they feel what you said. You ever accidentally cut somebody off in traffic and you're just like, man, like that guy's pissed. <laughs> they're probably cursing you. Right? And you feel it. Okay? So... You're, you're repulsed by people who curse you. You ever had that funny feeling that people are talking bad about you when you're not around? You don't want to hang out with those people. But you know the people you're drawn to? The people who talk good about you when you're not around. And you're like, man, just, that person just blessing me. That person just likes me. That person just always nice to me and kind to me. Well, you know, your lost neighbors, your lost coworkers, if you'll bless them when they're not around, you'll bless and pray for them. You'll bless them to their face. They will be suddenly and strangely attracted to you because they'll be trying to get around. What is going on with you? You live different. You walk different. Right? Point two is this. Hang out with the lost. Uh, verse seven says, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. Fellowship is next, not the proclamation of the gospel. We always do the last step first, right? But the first step is speak peace to them. Next thing is hang out with them. Work out with your lost friends. Invite them to go bowling. Go after work and kick it with them for a little bit. Invite them over for the game. Have your kids play together. Like, you know, be in a fantasy football league with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, okay? Like, fellowship with them. And notice this is two-way fellowship, eating and drinking what they provide. A lot of times we get this religiosity about us. Oh, man, I got I, I to gotta give this to them. I got to do that. I got to do it. Just receive from them every now and then. When they invite you over for dinner, don't be like, ugh, evil, I can't go in your house. Too many spirits there. Like, I get weird when I go in there. No, dude, pray in the Holy Ghost. Go into the building. Do what Jesus told you to do, and I promise you, you're going to be protected. You're covered, okay? Go in there. Receive the food. Maybe they're from another country. You don't even like that. Go in and eat it anyway. Point three. Take care of the needs of the lost. Uh, verse, verse 9, Luke 10 said, heal the sick in it. So here's what's going to happen. If you'll speak peace and you'll visit with the lost and you'll spend time with them and you'll make them your friend, 
without preaching to them first, here's what's going to happen. Eventually, they're going to ask, they're going to share a need with you. And it may not be like, yo, can you lend me 10 bucks? They're going to say something to you like, man, I am having a rough time at work. And you say something like this, you know, I've been praying for you and and I'm going to pray for that as well. And they may say something like this, hey, (laughs) I appreciate it, man, but I don't believe in prayer. That's okay. I'm the one praying. I believe in prayer. It's okay that you don't. I'm just going to pray, okay? Well, I appreciate that, bro. But look, I don't believe in God. Well, you're about to. Because if I keep praying, I'm telling you, something's going to shift in your life. And here's what's going to happen. Have you ever noticed this? God loves to answer the prayers of the unsaved. I mean, it's just something about it, man. I don't know what it is. Like, God is so attracted to people who don't know Jesus yet, and he will show up for them in miraculous ways. Sometimes I'm like, God, they're not even saved. Can I get a blessing? You know, just kidding. All right, I'm over time, so I got to close. Here's point four. Then you proclaim the good news to the lost. Uh, Luke 10 and 9 said, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So, So did you guys get the progression? Speak peace over them, right? Hang out with them. Right. Then when they share their need, then you meet their need. You help meet their need. I got you. You need something I can help you with. You need you need somebody to help you build a deck. I got you. I'm here for you. You're going to be out of town next week. It ain't rained in a month. I'm going to water your plants. You know what I'm saying? So point four is then you proclaim the good news to them. When God answers their prayer, when God answers your prayer, when God shows up, they're going to say, what is going on here? Hey, let me tell you about Jesus, all right? Here, this, is, this is my story. This is how Jesus touched me, all right? And then, and then you also, you invite them to church. We're so weird about that sometimes, you know? You would then invite them to church. Here's what the key is. The key is prayer. 1 Timothy 2 and 1, uh, 2, 1 through 4 says, First of all, then I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions in the city, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, that our city would be blessed, right? Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, right? It all starts with prayer. Blessing our, blessing our neighbors. So, so here's what I'm going to do as, as we're closing. I'm not going to have the band come up. I love y'all. And we normally will, but I want to get you out of here uh, uh, quicker, okay? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you guys just, just two things. Number one is our, our governor, Bill Lee, 10-10-10, which is on what, Thursday? Thursday. 10-10-10, our governor, our governor, we're talking about reformation in the city. Our governor, Bill Lee, who lives in this city, who is the governor of, over our state, has asked that the church, those who understand revival, those who want to pray into reformation, would pray and fast on 10, 10, 10 for the state of Tennessee. This right here is exactly what we're talking about. And I want to ask each and every one of you guys to fast on Thursday. If you can only fast one meal, fast one meal and pray. If you can fast all meals, fast all meals and pray. If you can, if you can be, they're having an event actually at the, um, somebody know? It's Municipal Auditorium. That's right, that's right. On Thursday night, if you can get out there, go out there. We're going to have some folks from our church out there. Go out there. Be a part of it. 
All right, we're going to have people praying here. Join in and declare revival in the church and reformation in the city all throughout Tennessee. Revival in the church, reformation in the city all throughout the state of Tennessee. And then also, this is something that just uh, the Lord has, has asked me to do. All right, anytime you're strategically going to take territory, you're strategically going to take a city, it's got to start in prayer. And the only way that's going to go down is if we have people who will actually pray. I'm praying for you. Nothing's changing in my life. I don't believe you. You know what I'm saying? Like, how often do we say that? So here's the thing, guys. I want to enlist some intercessors today. Now, don't. I'm going to give you a number to text. Don't text it if you ain't going to pray. All right? Because I'm, I, what you're going to get in response is a document that I wrote. All right? And one of the things you're going to notice there is prayer for my wife and I and for our family. Because, listen, this is what I know, guys. If we start going after taking territory that the enemy is preoccupied with, we need to be covered. All right? As your leaders, as your pastors, we need to be covered, guys. All right? If we're the tip of the spear, the tip of the spear faces the most resistance. Right? I don't know a missionary that's taking territory that's not cost their family. So I don't want my kids sick. I don't, want, I, don't want, I don't want to be sick. I don't want my wife sick. I don't want nobody having accidents. I, none of that stuff. We're going to be covered by the blood of the Lamb because we have an army of intercessors. So if you're interested in prayer and you're like, oh, I've just been waiting for this church to start a prayer list, a prayer team. Today is your big day. It's your time to shine, baby. Okay. So uh, you can text uh, our, our number, 615-454-9333. You can text it right now. Just text R&R. And it might be capital R, little n, capital R. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Okay. So just R&R. If you, and, and you know what R&R is for? It's not rest and relaxation. Sorry to tell you. Revival and reformation. Let's stand up. So you're going to get a document back, and there's going to be um, a thing there that says we're going to ask you to commit to praying for 20 minutes a day. You can pray 10 minutes in the morning before you get out of bed. Let's all be real. We spend that time on Instagram anyway. Didn't go over well. Let's all be honest. We spend 30, 30 minutes. Can you give a third of your social media morning to the kingdom of God? <laughs> Say, I'm enlisted in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for church today. We thank you for everything that's happening. God, I believe you're moving. You're moving in our hearts. You're moving in our church, Lord. We love you. We bless you. We thank you for all the breakthrough and the freedom that you're bringing to our house and to our city. We declare as one revival in the church and reformation in the city. We declare as one revival in the church and reformation in the city. One more time, we declare revival in the church and reformation in the city. In Jesus' name, be blessed. Be blessed. Be blessed. If you have any problems with this, just email us, DM us at Legacy Nashville. We'll get back to you. We'll get you the document. All right. We're going to have a record of everybody who texts in. Um, and so we may actually text you back just to stay more connected because we are serious about this. Amen.